Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan Miller. Today's episode, we have Kathy Escobar back on the show with Faith Shift Part 2. We are remixing it, which means everything that you gleaned and that we gleaned from the past conversation in Part 1, we are gathering together, six of us, along with Kathy, to hash out what this particularly looks like within each and every one of our lives. So this is a pretty raw episode. If you like this episode, make sure you share it on iTunes. Go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. Share it on Twitter, brew underscore theology. Also, Facebook, at brew theology, along with Instagram, at brew theology. And uh, make sure you check out the website. It's brewtheology.org. Look at different ways in which you can partner, sponsor, even donate. There are incentives for donations. Everything from online hugs uh, to maybe some cool swag in your mailbox. So check that out at brutetheology.org. And we'd love to start a partnership with you. We'd love to start a friendship with you. You know, for me, I grew up Baptist. And so what I still hold dear to my Baptist roots are a few things. One of them in particular is what I believe in what we called the priesthood of all believers, which means this. There's a lot of freedom and autonomy in whatever chapter you decide to do, whatever town or city that you're in. We just want to create a friendship and a partnership with you. So we can set up a conference call. We just did this the other week with some friends out in New Jersey. They're going to be getting one out there, right? Jersey strong, hashtag Jersey boys. I don't know what we're going to call it, but be on the lookout for that if you live in New Jersey. Also in Austin, they're going to start a brew theology there, hopefully pretty soon as well. And we would love for wherever you live, whatever town you're in, suburb, if you're in small town America or if you're in a big city, I do believe that what we're doing in the pub each week here in Denver, every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m., and you're, you're welcome to join us if you're ever in the Mile High City, uh, we believe it's changing ourselves, changing our community, and hopefully changing the world. So there you have it. Speaking of things that are, I think, awesome and hopefully will change the world, we have two upcoming events, and one of them, uh, you've probably seen me promote this online, and so I'm not going to give you the date just yet, but if you text... Beer Me Jesus, that's right, all one word, Beer Me Jesus, to 44222, that's right, Beer Me Jesus, the phone number is 44222, you can find out about the secret. It may or may not be coming to Denver, and it may not involve Peter Rollins, and it may not involve Trip Fuller, but I think it may. So who are you going to believe, Trip or me or Pete? I mean, there's all these rumors and secrets online Hey, I'll tell you what, if you email me at ryan at brewtheology.org, I will give you the secrets. So that's coming up soon. Hashtag Theology Beer Camp. It's going to be awesome. Next thing that we're excited about is the Wild Goose Festival coming up in July. Just Google Wild Goose Festival. Those guys are pretty phenomenal. And Janelle and I are going to be up there. We're hoping to bring some people from our community as well. And we're going to be on the podcast show. We're also going to have a booth. So come check out our booth at the Wild Goose Festival. That's right. Brew Theology. Hashtag that, Brew Theology, and we will see you on the other side, friends. Share this. Thank you very much. Love you. Peace. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. I'm Janelle, and I'll be hosting tonight. And tonight we're going to be talking about faith shift and our own experiences and drinking Fermantra beer, and I'm drinking the Mangata 
which is amazing. Um, so I have several friends here that are going to introduce themselves, and then we'll talk about how the faith shift has impacted each of our own journeys. So I'm Janelle. I come out of the Church of the Nazarene, transitioned out of that about four and a half years ago, and now uh, am comfortable calling myself a progressive Christian. And I would say that uh, the shift uh, stage that was big for me was unraveling. I unraveled pretty quickly over the last few years and am starting to rebuild and uh, restructure what faith looks like for me. I'm Shane. And if I had, I don't know where I am. If I had to classify myself, it's figuring things out and holding on to love, whatever that can be labeled as. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I'm still unwinding a lot, maybe a little severing. So that's that's kind of on my mind. I'm Nathan. Um, I yeah, I'm I'm spiritually I'm at the place where with a lot of I don't knows and uh, and whys and whats and just a lot of questions. Um, um, I think that the place that I've been the longest is the severing, and and I sort of feel like like Smeagol turned into Gollum. You know, this place where like, <laughs> I haven't seen light in a long time. You know, <laughs> so, uh, there. I'm Ryan. I, I grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical, and I would say the the unraveling part has been a continuation since about 2000. So, and that was the point where I said, "Wait, women should be able to preach too." And my wife and I go, "Well, we can't." I was a licensed Southern Baptist pastor, so I had to leave that world. But throughout that, the, there's been a continuation and been helpful people along the way who've helped me deconstruct and reconstruct. So I. I'm continually unraveling and, and while trying to rebuild. So I'm um, the severing part, though. That's the part that I, I'm a people pleaser. So that one's to to block somebody on Facebook is re- that doesn't happen. It's really hard for me to do that. So when it does, I feel like I have I don't know put somebody in the flames of hell. And I know it's not that big of a deal. People do it all the time. <laughs> so I don't sever well, but I unravel. I'm a pro- you know, protesting Protestant. So I can unravel like another. <laughs> I'm Kyle. Um, I grew up in the Deep South um, in kind of the conservative evangelical world um, that is very encompassing in the South. And I, I think I resonate most with the unraveling while simultaneously resonating with the rebuilding. I think for me, those two things kind of went side by side. Um, and so I resonate with both of those things quite a bit. I'm Baird. Uh, I started out in the United Methodist Church, uh, spent a long number of years in Nazarene Church, and then things kind of fell apart. And um, I don't know, I like both what's been said about severing uh, as, as a bit of a peacemaker. That's been a rough, um, a rough challenge. And, and then also on the rebuilding side and um, just trying to Trying to put things together in a way that that moves forward out of everything. So, and I'm Kathy. You heard all about me the last episode, <laughs> but I guess I would say, well, it depends on what you mean by the word Christian. Mm. <laughs> that I'm uh-huh. a Christian, but I'd kind of go, yeah. well, 
it depends on what you mean. Sure. Because it means different things to different people. But, you know, I consider myself a Christian. Some people might not think I am. Well, when somebody says Christian and then you're like, well, I'm the opposite of that. So what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's a tricky one because it has different meanings for different people. And it's really loaded for a lot of people. Especially right now. Oh, more than ever. So loaded. We, We have a friend who says every time we meet, I'm an agnostic Christian. Which blows people's mind at first, but it makes it makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. You follow, Je- you, you follow Jesus, yeah. but your like whole idea of God, I don't even know. Yeah, who knows? I like yeah. what Jesus did and what what He showed us, but I don't know what all the answers are. Yeah, it's a pretty okay answer, I think. So That's tonight, kind of why I skipped that answer? I don't have a label. <laughs> no Christian. Beyond that, you know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yep. Well, we're going to start out with uh, where we find ourselves in the story, and we shared that a little bit. Um, But we also uh, maybe can talk about specific parts of the journey that were really resonant with us um, and just uh, share with you kind of how this journey has impacted us. So does anyone want to start? This is a different episode because usually we're talking about, you know, theology. And while this is theological, this is functional, practical theology, which I appreciate, but... Even like the last week at the pub, you kind of looked around the table going, man, midway through, like, we're actually, this is getting pretty raw here. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm knowing you as a person? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can talk about my unwinding because I feel like I've been there for a while. Um, my unwinding started, I think, when I, I was in West Africa in Cote d'Ivoire um, with an organization there, Christian organization. That I have come to describe as a cult, in a way. Um, and it really, yeah, that's like, it came to that point where I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't believe what they were telling me to believe. I couldn't do what they were telling me to do. Um, and there was no room for discussion, no room to change it. Like, if I, they, point blank, if I was going to be part of this organization, this is what I had to do. And that, I mean, I took, I mean, talk about being being isolated in that journey. Like, I was... In a different part of the world, different culture, different language. Um, luckily, I did have one peer with me there that was feeling similarly. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was hard. I felt because I, I didn't I didn't become a Christian until college, um, and that's when my fusing process started. And it was largely built around relationships that I, I found like this this unshakable bond between these people, um, specifically a couple of my, my friends that I uh, lived with, and that was powerful to me. And I had given up a lot in that. I felt like I had my, I changed my college major. I had kind of shaped this whole worldview around this evangelical Christian mindset. Um, and then I was halfway around the world trying to figure out <laughs> what I was going to do with it. If I was going to return, if I was going to try to like Fake it, which Kathy is that a thing? Like, do people return and pretend? Oh, so many. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Because I feel like there's been times in my journey where I've, I've fallen into that. Like I've, I've done that. Um, and this was like one of those crossroads where I, I couldn't. And um, huge falling out. Very quickly had to leave the country. Uh, I was threatened to have my visa revoked, so I was on the next plane out. Um, and that started this unraveling process that was hard. Again, like I didn't come from a church-going family, um, so when I came back early, my parents were still confused on why I went in the first place, what I'm doing back. That wasn't a huge 
source of support um, and trying to figure this out. And so I did what any logical person would do when they're trying to unravel from evangelical Christianity and move to Colorado Springs. (laughs) 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 (sighs) Yeah. Go to Jerusalem. That's hilarious. So you understand why the perpetuation of the unraveling continued. Um, A lot of confusion, a lot of not knowing what the hell was happening in my life. And I still feel that way. I feel like I worked through some of that. And then, like, yeah... I had started to feel some of those first fruits of freedom and what that was with that, like in that adversity, like that, like what I was feeling, what I was thinking is okay. Um, started finding some, some people that were kind of in that same process. And, uh, and I think then like it kind of cycled back. Then it kind of came to like, well, then I kind of fell into this victim mentality of where like, well, damn it. Like that whole process is, part of like just keeping me there that's what church is is just like this continual cycle of trapping people in a way and i felt like angry and frustrated and powerless and very very pissed off um and i think at that same time that's where there's like stripping away from those structures those people like alone in that uh yeah and so i think like part of the process where i still am is building like that that confidence and that security and who I am, what I believe, what is, what is okay, what is appropriate. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I have to cycle back to unwinding a lot, though, but mm-hmm. bumps of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. This is a brief synopsis. Well, and I think that, Kathy, you talked about how you've gone back to some unraveling with the election mm-hmm. and just that triggered, like, old stories that kind of resurfaced and kind of made you go through that again. Is that about right? Yeah. I mean, it just, especially, you know, the 81% of white evangelicals voting for Donald Trump. I mean, I can just speak personally. That was just really, it just stirred up a lot of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was a system. It has the power part, the power mm-hmm. part, I think, probably. Because mm-hmm. for me, that's probably the thing that's my catalyst. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, stirred it up. And I think they kind of on, on that basis, like, talked about some of, like, this, like, like in the last episode of like the tent being big and like with that specifically though, I'm in a place where like I, I will not be unified with some of these people. Like that's not something like uh, at my core that I'm willing to shake on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like a jerk, but at the same time, like it's, again, like it's like something I don't feel like I could change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a violation of like a core thing, and it's like I just you just can't, can't do it. Cannot, yeah. Like I mean, I, yeah. Talk about like moving forward as a nation and all this unity. Like that's just I cannot. Like that's not okay. Yeah, you've had a lot of people who said, "Well, this person won, so get over it and move on." And that happened about day two. And I thought, <laughs> wow, like how quickly we are as Westerners to move on. What does yeah. that even mean? Yeah, just bury it again. Just bury it. <laughs> Yep, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. And like Ryan, like I know we kind of talked a little bit before, but I feel like I do want to say I told you so in some things. I don't know. Maybe it's like this, like, like righteousness in me that I want to be, want to be right. Yeah. But I also don't want to see it perpetuated either. Like I mean, like there has to be a lesson, and we have to like, talk about that. Like, like right? Like is and maybe it's not my place to to do any of that. But that's well, how I mean, it you, sometimes. you've heard this before. We all have. You can't lead people where they're you know, not willing to go. So. You can love them into a place, but you can't drag them. You can't force them, coerce them. 
And, you know, this is even, like, for me, very theological, the idea of, I'm going to shift gears a bit. I don't want to go completely on a rabbit trail. But this idea of a coercive deity that we talk a lot about, and Kyle, you talk a lot about this. So that kind of a, a, if if we look at God as a coercive God and we go, no, I can't do that, but yet we operate that way, Mm -hmm. I can't can't change somebody. Um, But I think maybe there's that space to say, we're going to distance ourselves. I can't like I think you yes you have all the right in the world to say you stay in that corner of the room I'm going to stay on this corner of the planet mm. yeah yeah uh, but you I don't know if chastising people will will ever work because I and I've done it I I've I've ranted on Facebook and I've said things that I go maybe I shouldn't have said that because it probably did more harm than good I don't know what do y'all think I mean because I go back and forth like like Shane of you want to say I told you so you voted for that loser but then that doesn't do any good does it. No. no, I think there's good that could be. I, I, I think it could be argued. I, think, be argued. I, I think in the end, though, a lot of it comes down to the same thing we'd say in so many other settings. Of we have to we have to address the ideas. Um, it isn't about character assassination of people. It is about the ideas of what we value and why we value it. And unless we're able to have a discussion where we can bring those ideas to the table and talk about them, we're going to remain in polarized camps. And um, there's been a a discussion bouncing around a little earlier in the evening uh, where we're talking about who's welcome at this table even. And on the one hand, I think a lot of, you know, obviously most of us in the room share a perspective here, um, and yet at the same time, we want a group that is open mm-hmm. to people that have different opinions. And I, I would hope that, at least in this setting, we're able to bring a, a discussion to the table where we're able to have those different ideas and talk about them, because if we don't understand where people are coming from and how they've reached those decisions... And without acknowledging that they have the right to hold them, we end up we end up perpetuating the very thing that we're complaining about. Part of my process of going through these shifts was being in a place where we were attending two church communities. And the, the first community we were at was more rigid, and the second community we were at was much less rigid. Um, and... I went into that, and I I was personally afraid that I was somehow going to be corrupted by being in that other place. I have friends that would probably argue that I was. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, what I found is people who love God just as much as I did expressed it differently. And in what I found there, I found ways to relate better to other people, and it changed who I was. Um, But then to get to the faith shift part, the problem is that led to unraveling and unfortunately to a a process of severing and and losing relationships that that I very much value. I very much wish I hadn't lost. We We have to be willing to have the conversation. I don't know. Very long answer, sorry. I think that was part of my shifting too, coming from the same tradition, is that when I would try to poke at some of the things that Shane was talking about, like 
seeing my friends not being taken care of while they were in the pastorate and not having insurance or not having enough money to buy food and asking a question about that and just getting told that God will take care of it or that's just the way it is or ministry is a sacrifice but you're not actually answering my question about why are we okay with a system that lets this happen Um, and the one that I think finally really led to a lot of the unraveling and unraveled a lot of the anger that I had that I didn't know how to identify was admitting that I was in a tradition that said that women were equal but doesn't treat women like they're equal. And and try I think my internal self was trying to like make that all make sense and be okay. And I didn't have any words or any like philosophical structure for what might be behind that discontinuity. And so when it finally started to crumble, it just took everything with it. Because you told me my whole life that there was a place for me. But 3% of women being senior pastors is not equality. And there isn't a place for me. Um, and that, that just took a lot of like work to get to where I could even vocalize that that was kind of at the heart of the issue. And so I'd shift around and around and around and you know, keep my hair long and wear the right clothes and not wear too much makeup and do all the things and be the perfect, good, you know, barren wife. And it was never enough. And so it's really, um, it was very, I think for me, it was that unraveling almost was, it was just very personal in that not only was it my faith and my community, it was my vocation and my future. They all just unraveled together. And that's been really hard to to walk through and recover from. I think one of the things that um, Kathy said earlier about is is it the refuge? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you said in the in the last podcast um, was that you found that it's easier to find unity around core values rather than core beliefs. Um, and I think for me, when I look at this idea of a faith shift or a faith journey. Um, it heavily revolves around values, um, where I see some people, they, they find themselves in a faith tradition that doesn't seem to align with the values that they hold deep or close. Whether that's um, an understanding of love that differs from the understandings of love around them, or whether um, it's an understanding of community that differs from the community that they're in. Um, it's it's kind of It seems to me like a kind of effort to kind of figure out how does this community resonate with my under, my values that I hold and for some people it seems like those two things are irreconcilable right like we have these values of inclusivity of love um, in a community that is has a very narrow definition of love um, and it seems very exclusive um, and so I think that kind of like pushes people in, in a direction where they kind of things begin to unravel and they begin to cut ties with people that they previously held. I mean, that's certainly true for myself and I know a lot of other people that have gone through that as well. Um, But something that that I was thinking about just a second ago is um, in one of the last podcasts that we did um, on Brutheology, they interviewed John Cobb. uh, And one of the things that he talks about is, I believe it's the the Greek word for faith is pistis. Um, And he talks about how faith can, is better translated as faithfulness in the New Testament. And that really resonated with me in thinking about this idea of core values and that, like, when we think about being faithful to God, 
Um, we think about being faithful. I mean, whatever that means for, for people, right? Like, when we think about being faithful to those things that we hold true, love, beauty, goodness, joy, happiness, creativity, all those things, um, to me it seems like this, this faith shift is an act of faithfulness. Um, and I think that's something that has really resonated with me over the last couple of years is this, this whole shifting and transforming and distancing myself from, from things that I once was really close to um, is really an act of faithfulness and not an act of rebellion or an act of defiance, but kind of walking into the unknown in an act of humility and just adhering to my values that I, like, I will not go back on. And I don't, I don't exactly know where that fits into this conversation, but I think that's a really beautiful way to look at it for me. I, I think that was just something that came up in thinking about what was being shared. I love that thought, and that's beautiful. Now, it makes me think, too, a lot of times we think we're losing faith, but we're really losing beliefs. And they Mm -hmm. get tangled up together. Mm -hmm. And so I think I I have a post on my blog, I think it's just, you know, losing beliefs, not faith. And whatever you do, don't let them take your faith. That's, you know, on there, too. It's Mm -hmm. a post that's kind of like that, too. It's like when they, other people are defining what it means to mm-hmm. have faith that's not that's not right you know that's not what mm-hmm. faith is um, but I love what you're saying about faithfulness and that there's something about integrity in there and the unknown not knowing um, but you know this is a big piece I think for a faith shifty unraveling people is really honoring it actually is a holy act because you're yeah. you're you're walking, you're changing, you're growing, you're open to God moving. You know, all those kinds of things get kind of thrown apart because you don't believe a certain thing. Right. Instead mm-hmm. of really honoring it as part right. of charity. I think this to just piggyback off that for me in my long journey of deconstructing, the, one of the big parts was. Uh, years back was this idea of a, a Jewish rabbi. Imagine that, that the one that we call Savior is this guy who walked on this earth and say, hey, come follow me. But so the idea of becoming uh, like your rabbi versus uh, knowing what your rabbi knows are kind of two. I mean, you can say that they're, they're together, but we've often have, have said, no, you know, you put your faith in Christ. Whereas really it's like, no, you, you follow Christ. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. And so even his disciples within that first century framework, they, they didn't know a lot of, I mean, they, they might have had some theology, obviously, within their first century framework, but uh, the things that they thought about God and thought about Jesus, probably very different from how we think today, but the idea was to uh, not have the idea, it was to then walk in the footsteps, and so then to become who Jesus is, that is the faithfulness thing, so in, in my kind of, uh, my own faith shift, if you will, the, the Jewish part of Jesus was like, no, this is like a, this is a theology from from below that's that's earthy and it's like blood sweat and tears it like literally tears someone someone like dies of cancer that you're close with you go how does my 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 real practical theology fit into this because sometimes the stuff you think doesn't really work anymore when if you have whether you have someone who dies of cancer or you have any kind of uh, major life experience you go well, what what does theology mean anymore is it is it believing thoughts in your head or, or acting out this way. so And so I guess for me and my own, back to the question that you asked originally, it was probably I'd already been going through that 
that process of understanding through a Jewish framework. But then when a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer and then died, I go, oh, shit, the things that I thought I believed about God, they can't make sense anymore. And they can. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I already had some stuff to kind of tools in my head to help me with that. But, man, that, that was really rough because um, what we were taught in the church was to believe certain aspects about this omnipotent God and this omniscient God and these things about God that I go, well, if that's the case, that's a bad God for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't deal with it anymore. But then if people don't go through that shift experientially, then they, they don't understand it. No. No. Yeah. I was thinking, too, a big piece for a lot of us that, and this is where it crossed different, different faiths, too, because every faith, no matter what it is, has some of the same things. You have more mystical, you have more fundamentalist, you know, you have that stream in every world religion has the same thing um, to some degree, and that there's something about the contemplative and the mystics that could always hold all of it in mm-hmm. tension. And so it really was a both and. And then if on a more rigid stream, it's either or, yeah. you know, and there's something so um, foreign to us to hold the both and yeah. when you're so used to only having the either or. And in, yeah. in Christianity, in that stream, I mean, there were a lot of mystics and contemplatives, yeah. and they were, her- but, you know, a lot of them were considered heretics. But Western philosophy won out and it became very binary and black and white. So that, that's the unfortunate truth that we all, we were, we were birthed into that world. Yeah. So the, all the mystical stuff, we've had to kind of like dig it back up again and go, oh, this is, this is a part of our tradition. This isn't so bad. Yeah, and, even, and, and even we've had some Eastern Orthodox people join our circles and they've said, they, they think it's kind of funny the way that we talk about God at times because they go, no, because once you figured out God, then no, you got that, that God has to die because it's, there's never a completion right. of your, of your thought of God, which is, that's got to be beautiful. Which is kind of the also the idea of the already not yet that we already have salvation, we already can experience the freedom and and renewal and rebirth of Christ, but we are not yet complete and we're not yet fully arrived and and that's not an either or statement either. That's that's that we already have these touches of God, but there's more and it's it's not yet here and we're still moving towards that. And that's one of those concepts that I think can help bridge people from kind of a more rigid system to a wider tent that we've been talking about. Um, So what are some of the beliefs that you have had to let go of? And we can kind of do this popcorn style. Like, Does it have to be just beliefs? Could Could it be things like, to speak of the tent, could it be beyond beliefs too? Sure. Relationships? Yeah, relationships. So what are the things that you've lost? Like... Not to, like, get stuck there, but, like, what are some things you've had to really just chuck along the way? I think the, the identity piece is so big, especially for somebody who is naturally a people pleaser. Then to go, when, when you're, like, you know, Kathy talked about this in the last episode, when you're at a certain kind of a church, performing a certain way, mm-hmm. people expect that of you. And when suddenly you begin to question these things and you begin to be unconventional, and a lot of... The, <laughs> a lot of churches, that's that's just not allowed. And so your identity is at stake. Mm-hmm. And not just other people who feel threatened because you're changing, but now you go, well, who am I anymore? So for me, I I, uh, I really had to work through, that's just not me anymore. And I'm, I had to find a new tribe, which, I'm, you know, and well, you guys are obviously part of that tribe mm-hmm. and every week, but it's sometimes you feel like a heretic. And I've been called that. I've been called an apostate. 
just like you, Kathy. And the first time it hit me on Facebook a few years back, because it's funny that it only was, well, I guess Facebook's relatively new for people calling people heretics. Back in the day, it was like, no, when you called someone that, you would put them on a stake and burn them. But now, like, no, I can just, you know, post that on your wall. <laughs> I've written these things before. It's like, have you not read the stuff that I, and I don't think people have read the the throughout the years because you can you can see this is moving somewhere in the minute I, I remember it was a I did atonement theories once and I talked about Rene Girard and thinking like this is a possibility within many and I bought into a lot of it and this person had just just kind of attacked me and I uh, and I private messaged them on the side going hey like that wasn't cool but uh, but it affected me so I going back to it's the identity you you lose man when you have it all together um, it feels good people go hey you 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 know, you know things, and we like yeah. that. And now you don't know things, so now you've lo- you've lost that. Well, and not only that you've lost it, but that you have, you might have lost the thing that you were supposed to do with your life. And I think it's it's good to tell our readers that there are a whole lot of pastors that sit in this circle um, that are either still active in some sort of ministry or would maybe carry the label ex-pastor because of where they are. And um, that identity piece in some traditions, I think, is even even more like ingrained in who you are. And so when you were called in your 20s to go do this thing and then then mm-hmm. it it all goes away, it's it's yeah. your whole being just collapses. Um, and, you know, just like... I said on the last recording, like, you're not alone. If you're listening to this and that's you, there's a good school of us out here swimming around. There's, there's a lot of Nicodemuses in the night kind of going yep. in going, hey. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't mean that you have failed God, and it doesn't mean that you aren't who you're supposed to be. It just means that your understanding of what that looks like is changing, and that's okay. Um, and it will be okay. But it's hard. It's not an easy journey. I've had to, that was really the hardest, probably the hardest part for me was realizing that traditional pastoral ministry was probably not going to be my path anymore. And that's what I've been working towards for 20 years. And so now what? Um, And there's a whole ton of narratives in my tradition about the failed pastor. And the reason for that is because there's six of them sitting in the back row. Because they're all the people that came to Kansas City and never graduated, or graduated and never got pastorates. And so you get to be a failed pastor. Good for you. You loser. Um, And if that seems harsh, I'm sorry. But on the other side of it, that's how it feels. I'm not a loser. God doesn't hate me. And I didn't fail. Now, there are some things that failed, and we can talk about those on another podcast. But it wasn't me. Yeah. and I think that those that that comes into your power dynamics of the way the church functions, that we have certain problems that, that are just ignored and swept under the rug. And if you stop doing that, if you stop sweeping under the rug those things, if you start picking up the rug or you start standing on the corner and not letting them get pushed under, then you're going to go with it because they're not going to tolerate you standing there talking about it. Don't ask questions like how many open churches are there versus how many people do our schools graduate every year. I mean, there are reasons that there are more pastors than there are churches because the burning them. The burnout rate is five years. I think it was in our denomination. I would yeah. guess from what I've seen, it's pretty similar. And so in a lot of progressive churches, you have pastors in every row of the church. 
because they're gone now. So I think that's a bit, that's a hard one that this deals with is that people that have dedicated their lives to this now find themselves without a home. And, and that's tragic in so many ways. Cause if you don't have anyone to heal with, it just leads to more brokenness. So, yeah, to, I mean, once you've, once you've gone all in and you said, this is who I am, this is what I think. And then you have no place to go to, if you have no community, we've talked about people around you to, uh, really do that life with, then I mean, that's the mess the main thing. So if you, th- that'll help you get your identity back to mm-hmm. a new identity. That's probably better than that false pastoral identity that people think yeah. that they should live up to. Well, and I think just acknowledging in general, I mean, this isn't just for pastors, but for everybody that there's kind of the system when you, once you um, unravel, unwind, whatever language that you want to use, you really lose your ability to play in certain circles, whether as a participant or a leader, you know, this happens, this is happening a ton right now with um, people trying to raise support. You know, a lot of people are in other places in the country, and you need to raise support in order to do that. And now it's becoming harder if you have certain beliefs Mm -hmm. or shed certain Mm -hmm. beliefs. Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't hold those beliefs, you can't sign the doctrinal statement. I mean, we're seeing it really. So there's a lot tied to not just kind of um, a secure thing, but really, like, your passion. It's get, we're going to have to find different avenues to do it. I mean, there's nobody that I know that's had a big faith deconstruction as a pastor outside of mainline. In mainline denominations, there's a lot more tolerance for progressive yeah. theology. Mm-hmm. But those of us that came from the evangelical stream, there ain't no jobs out there. No, there's not. <laughs> <laughs> and those jobs that are out there, there be, there, there's not very many of those either. No. Yeah. yeah, they're just really not there. So I was thinking on your losing beliefs thing, like a big belief that I've lost is just blindly trusting the system. Yeah. 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 And when most of us kind of came from, this is a cross faith too, come from a system that you just kind of put your trust in. And when you lose that, a lot crumbles because you kind of put your trust in them, you know? So that was a big belief. Like, I have no anything for the system anymore. My my fusion happened, I I mean, it was like I was just born into a church and that's just how it was. And and as we're talking and as I'm looking at this diagram... I thought I knew when my unraveling was, and that was when I stopped going to church, or that's when I thought it was, at least, until I thought about, like, two years ago, when I had this moment that, uh, um, someone once explained to me that grief is like walking up a staircase and, and not knowing that you had already gotten to the last step. And making that next step and and it not being there, the last step. And you have this this moment of just loss and, and it's scary and you, you don't know exactly what happened. But I had that moment a couple years ago where I was like, wait, everything that I still believe in, my morals, values are still so enrooted in 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 this in my church, even though it's been 10 years since I've been to church and I have, you know, it was a self-proclaimed like atheist, like everything. And, and I can, it was that moment that I think that I started maybe a little bit rebuilding some of my own personal values and traditions mm-hmm. and, and beliefs outside of, outside of that very traditional, you know, Christian church. And I, I, I just at this moment where, yeah, 
it felt like grief, and it and it continues to feel like grief, um, um, feeling like like I had that step taken away from me, and I am living outside of that systems those systems that I still find so very comforting looking back on. Yeah, it feels empty. Yeah, and yeah. You're not alone <laughs> at all. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> we are here with you. But it's also like it's it's really empowering and and exciting too to say now I can I can pick any life that I I, I want and um um it's also like where do I even begin? Right. You know, and so and so it's it's scary, but it's also it also feels really good. See now you get the award for transition master because the next question was <laughs> where do we find hope in the midst of these shifts? Is there any hope that we found or any positives or any moments that make us think, okay, I'm gonna get through this? I think it's that internal piece for me, like that. Mm. I am right with myself. Like (laughs) I've severed all these relationships. I've moved past like so many different things. I have no idea what I am doing in (laughs) the world at all, but I'm true to what I believe. And that's, I mean, (laughs) there's been so many times where I've had only that to cling to. And honestly, it's been enough Mm -hmm. like that, like being true to who I am Mm -hmm. And I'm still discovering who I am. Like that's, yeah. I, I I feel like part of being in this system, and like having that that fusion is that like yeah, like you're one big blob, right? Like that like part of like finding that freedom is also like a second birth, like right? Like, like you're just like okay, like I'm a child stumbling through what kind of toys I like to play with, right? Like figuring it out, and that's yeah. If I didn't have that in, internal peace in it all, like I. I would have broke down. Yeah. I probably would have returned. Yeah. I don't know if this is some sort of coping mechanism or what, but, like, I I find hope in the deconstruction. Like, I I find hope in the hopelessness. And I think... So I don't don't go to House for All Sinners and Saints anymore, um, but I remember every time I went, I couldn't help but cry during this one part of the service um, where essentially everyone breaks out and people write prayers on a piece of paper and it's put in a basket and it's read out loud um and every week there were prayers that were so incredibly vulnerable god help me with my unbelief help me with my addiction help me with overcoming this doubt help me with my marital problems i mean very vulnerable things and as those things were read out loud and we all sang together oh lord hear us hear our prayers there was something so incredibly hopeful in that despair where people come together and they share their brokenness with each other and they dwell in that space of grief and doubt and hopelessness and they're not afraid to cover that up or somehow diminish that but a full embrace of that as a community saying we're all in this together yeah we're all broken we all have things about us that aren't perfect and i think for me i've really found hope in that where when someone says, I have the answer for you, I don't really, I, my reaction is to resist it. But when someone says, I'm broken too, let's talk about the ways in which I'm struggling with this and I'm trying to get through with this, maybe it'll help you in your journey as well. That's so much more liberating and freeing. Um, not only does it 
provide autonomy for the for the person who's struggling, but there's some sense of community that that develops as well. And for me, that's just so incredibly hopeful. Yeah. And so it, I don't. It it really is kind of hope in the hopelessness, where when someone says, "I have hope for you," here it is. It's not really that hopeful for me. So. Yeah. That was one of the great things about beer camp that we some of us just went to, um, is that I found in that place that I had found my people. Like, I have my people here in Denver, but to then go somewhere else and go, oh, these are my people too, and there's more of us, um, that was really, really hopeful. And that's why you hear me say uh, probably a lot on this thing, that you're not alone out there, you that are listening. Being able to say that you're not alone to you is, is a hopeful thing. That, that we are all going through this and we're all going to get to the other side. And, and even if our journeys all go at different paces, it doesn't matter. But we are all out here and we're doing this and God is with us doing it. There's, there's something about uh, uh, feeling broken and, and other people telling you that, that you need to be fixed. And that makes me feel hopeless. When, when I go into a setting and people are like, well, this is how you solve your problems. And I'm like, I've tried for a really long time to, to fix myself, and it's not working. And I find hope, similar to what you were saying, Kyle, is yeah. that your name? Like, I find, I find hope in those settings where other people go, I'm, I'm broken too, and, and let's just learn to live broken. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think I can do that, maybe. But it's it's so much simpler than than going into a place and, and trying to figure out how to become fixed, whatever that means. Or going to a place and having to look fixed uh-huh. to get in the door and then figure out, okay, now is there any room for me? Um, that's so frustrating when you've got to have it look like you're all together when you get there. And really you're not. <laughs> And none of us are. Nope. None of us are. I know, and everyone thinks that we're the most broken one, or we're the most messed up one, or we're, if they only knew, like, most people think that. Yeah. To some degree. Um, or there's also people that are like, I'm so much better <laughs> But on the whole, there it is that, like, if I show my true self, I'm not going to, it's not going to be okay. And that's why there's nothing more healing than showing your true self and having it be okay. Mm-hmm. And that typically, a lot of the structures that we're in, it's kind of not okay to show your true self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why when you taste it or you feel it or you experience it, that's why so many people do love 12-step meetings because no one's trying to fix you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But there is a path. And there is a path. There is a path mm-hmm. to healing. And there's... but. There's a long story, too. So that's what kind of gives me hope is that um, I've watched now, so it's 11 years. Like, I've just seen the long story on so many people because I've been connected online and then in real life. And just, like, trusting the long story. We're so fast. We want everything so fast. And it just takes a long time. And there's not a new arrival. Right. You know, it's like the old thing, that old high, that old thing. I mean, at least in my experience, it's never come back. I've never had what that thing was, but I have something different. And honoring that, instead of always trying to get the old feeling back, I think a lot of people do that because you miss the feeling. Yeah. And it's like, no, I always, I always am the bearer of bad news. I'm like, I don't think that feeling's ever going to come back. <laughs> but I think new feelings and experiences can come that 
are really healing and kind of bring wholeness and integrity. Like, I feel like that's the biggest word for me. Wholeness yeah. and integrity. Absolutely. And that, um, that looks different for every person, but you know it when you feel it. Yeah. I think I feel that the most with, like, the relationships that I've lost. Like, when I look back and I'm like, there's, like, that moment of, like, oh. But then I was like, I, I think about how I wasn't truly myself in that and how how would that relationship even be now, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's so much more fulfilling the relationships that I have now with that, that integrity of, like, this is, I'm more whole and I'm still accepted. And that, yeah, it's just, like, it's, I don't even miss, like, some of those those people that I've had to leave behind in some of that way. I think along those lines of several of these last comments, um, one of the things that has been both hard and hopeful for me is looking back at at times and places that I've been invested heavily and even in the relationships and 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 what people believe and one thing that that I have found helpful is to remember that people come by where they are honestly um, the views that people hold at a given time are the views that they've been brought up with or walked into or found fitting to them at a time. And when we find ourselves in a place where that is no longer fitting to us, then then things unravel and, and sometimes things separate and we move on. But at the same time, to give grace to ourselves to say, I did that in the best like to borrow a metaphor from our from our old tradition, um, we did those things in the best light that we had at the time that we were living them. And I hope that what I have is is new light that lets me move on, but I'm not in that place anymore, and so things are different. Um, and yet at the same time, I do the best with what I have and know now and have to find grace to, to go on with that. Which leads us into our kind of last question as we come to a close of what's working for you? Uh, Are there spiritual practices or things that you're doing that are resonating? Have you found a new community? Have you found um, new dreams or passions that are giving you life as you're rebuilding or dealing with the unraveling? Um, what What are some of the things that are working? For me, it's community. It is finding people who are struggling um, who are willing to be vulnerable in that, who are willing for you to be vulnerable in that and communities who are interested in reaching out to the margins. Um, For me activism is a huge part of my faith Um, I don't think I would be a person of faith now if it wasn't for activism Um, and the ties that I've been able to make with that in my faith tradition. And so for me like one of the things that's kept me going is caring for the poor, caring for those who are outcasted or marginalized in society, listening to their stories, getting to know them, and just kind of sitting in that space, being someone who is vulnerable enough to to cry with people, to sit with people, to listen to other people's stories and also be able to tell your own story. And I think for me that has been so incredibly foundational for me. And that's kind of the platform in which everything that I've rebuilt from kind of deconstructing everything that was my faith kind of relies on. Cool. I like that. 
Yeah, I totally agree about community. Um, I feel like specifically like this space has been so um, important for me. Uh, I, I know like I can come, it's just safe, and I can come and like say, I don't believe this, or I don't know what the hell's going on with this, or I, even like this was the first group I came out to. Like this is like a, a safe place for me, and it's beautiful, and it, I can be raw and weird or dumb or whatever right like this i can i can just be me here and that's such a huge blessing i think some other place that i also find like kind of like that spiritual side is outdoors like hiking but also so snowboarding it's you know winter in colorado so (laughs) like that like it's just like you have to respond in the split second like you are like you are in touch with the hill the the snow your board right like you're just like you can think of nothing else you're just in this in this moment completely um and i think that's like a metaphor that i I feel like i've kind of landed on in life right now just like being in the moment completely wherever i am whoever i'm with like that's that's me that's something that's like definitely i've shifted into and enjoying so much awesome so for me it was almost four years ago where I, I quit um, the pastoral paid professional gig, and and then I became a stay-at-home dad, and then I started drinking a lot of beer and pubs. <laughs> there's my, my, sh- my there's my shift. <laughs> uh, I, I already I already uh, yeah had my fair share of beers, and we were already doing things like what we do at the pub with friends, whether on staff that I was with or. I was even doing Monday Night Football for years before that, and there was there's something about the ability to talk openly in a pub environment. So, I think for me, cultivating, creating a space every week for people at different tables, regardless if I'm moderator moderating or not, because a lot of times I'm not. But to watch it happen and to see it happen, and whether we have someone like Kathy come in and speak, or <laughs> listening to you know Iman Judah come and talk about uh, wow a faith outside of Christianity like to me that's liberating people mm-hmm. can be open what do you think about this so the fact that we do that and we create the space that's my hope because people are more real there than I've ever seen in the church yeah I think I, authenticity is definitely a place of hope um, in my tradition you know the the goal was always to be perfect and, um, you know, there's argumentation about what that meant theologically, but in practice, it often meant that the goal was to be perfect at church, at home, in your relationships, and life is not perfect. And being able to come authentically and be who I am with all my issues, whatever they are, um, and all my doubts and, and all my hurt, that's... That's really living. That's really connecting. And I think I feel more than ever that God is right there with me in the midst of that. And I think that if the church wants to be renewed, especially in America, we have got to overcome legalism and overcome uh, this idea of looking good on Sunday and start to live authentically. And be really authentic, too, about what we believe. Because... Uh, there are a lot of things that we believe that don't come to the surface very easily. Things like patriarchy and racism and discrimination um, and even how we deal with anger and sadness and passive-aggressive behavior. Those things don't often have names in our churches, and as long as we let them stay there, they will continue continue to fester. And so finding ways to get to the heart of that and admit that we're not as sparkly as we want to be um, I think it's essential to healthy, good, positive faith in our world. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you all so much for this conversation. And I want you listeners to know this is a hard conversation. I challenge you to go out there, get Kathy's book, read it, grab a group of friends, and have this conversation because it will change you. Um, And it will cultivate that authenticity and connection that we all have said is most important to us. So once again, we want to give cheers to, to Kathy for sharing her time with us and being present. Dan's going to love our clicks on the mic. Um, And thank you for joining us, and please tune in again.